we're diving back into the book of Genesis, and uh, we hit pause in August at Genesis chapter 20, which is why we're picking up in Genesis 21. And so here's what was happening. Um, In Genesis chapter 18, God visited Abraham and Sarah. Three visitors came to visit them in their own personal home. And as God was visiting with them, he left them with a promise that when he returned within a year, that Abraham and Sarah would have a baby boy. And Sarah, as she's preparing food for these visitors, hears from a distance off the promise that is given to Abraham that when they return, they'll have a baby boy in a year. And she laughs. And things get awkward because God hears and he asks Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Sarah, fearful, says, I I didn't laugh. And then here's how the story ends. God says, yes, you did. And that's literally it. That's the end of the story. So it's awkward, but there's a great promise that's going on here. Then you'd fast forward to Genesis chapter 20, and we see something that happens in Abraham's life. There's a reoccurring sin problem. He has a lying problem. What happens in Genesis chapter 20 is Abraham picks up his family They leave where they were at, and they go to a place where Abimelech is king. And out of fear in his own heart, he tells Sarah, and he also tells the rulers of the land, that Sarah is his sister. And so Abimelech takes Sarah as his wife, and God divinely intervenes. He keeps Sarah from actually moving forward in the relationship with Abimelech. And so here's a couple of questions that you leave all of this with. There's a lot of things that are kind of stirring inside of you, or at least they're in me as I was thinking about all that had happened. The first one is, Abraham, really God? This is the one that you're going to move forward your promises throughout Scripture? You're going to move forward with a man that's old in age, that is a deceptive person. This is the guy, God? This is him. But then you're also left with a question that's geared more towards God. Is God going to keep his promise? Is he going to follow through with what he said in Genesis chapter 18? It's been 20 years since God gave the call on Abraham's life to pick up and go and issue the promise that he would be given a baby boy through Sarah. And so the question that you left, you're left with is you are really thinking in terms of God's direction is can he be trusted? And honestly, it's still a prominent question that we all wrestle with today. And recent studies would back this up. So there was a couple of ministries that came together in 2022 and they did a survey of evangelical Christians, so people that would say that you have to have faith in Christ alone to be saved, that the authority of the Bible is the highest authority for any Christian, that we should be sharing our faith with other people, that Jesus' death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can rightfully pay for our penalty of sin towards God, that it can remove God's wrath towards us. These are what an evangelical would be according to these two. They asked the question to a number of evangelical Christians Does God change? 50% of them said yes. 50%, half, said yes, God does change. If the Bible is really true as the ultimate authority, 
And what we see about God and what he declares through the Bible is that he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you agree that God changes. You are admitting there is a distrust in God. He changes. He's not always the same. And so can we trust God? At best, you would say, I don't know. Now, here's the thing. If the question moves from does the Bible say this to does my life say this, the percentage goes up from 50 to 100. (laughs) Because every single one of us have wrestled with the question, can I trust God? Every single one of us, if you have a pulse in this room, you've wrestled with the question, can I trust God? When finances get tight, what's the question? Can I trust him? When school isn't going the way that we had thought, when our work isn't going the direction that we anticipated, the question is, can I trust God? When friendships or relationships aren't working out the way that we have wanted to or God isn't bringing them into our life the way that we have desired, the question that stirs inside of you, can I trust God? When the Pop-Tart goes out of the toaster and it's just a little burnt, you're just like, can I trust God? I mean, like the very smallest and minute things in this life, we're like, can we trust God? We all wrestled with the question that maybe is the default question that we feel deep down in our souls in everyday life. And so what do we do? Here's the, here's the response as we go to the stories of God that show us that God can be trusted. In other words, we go to passages like the one that we're looking at tonight, Genesis chapter 21. So here's what we're going to do. I want to work through this story. And here's, as we work through the story, I want to look at it in a couple of different scenes. And as we look at it in the two different scenes, I want to wrestle with ways that we struggle to trust God. I think there's a couple ways that we can identify that here in this passage. But ultimately what we're going to land on is that God does prove himself worthy to be trusted. That's what you see in this passage. We're going to land that ultimately God has proved himself worthy of our trust. And so here's my prayer, that after we end Genesis chapter 21, after we sing about the goodness of God, after we take communion together as we're sent out, here's how I want us to leave. Here's my prayer, that you would leave this place confident that God is faithful. That God is faithful. Let, maybe let's personalize that. That you could leave this room tonight and you could with confidence say that God is faithful to me. First Sunday of the year. Imagine. Imagine a year where we live in the confident truth that God is faithful to us. What a year that would be. May God make it be true, all right? So let's just work through this story so we can see God's faithfulness to Abraham and Sarah, but also to us as well. And so what we're gonna do, we're gonna look verses one through seven first, and then we'll look at eight through 21. And here's what we see. We see first that God is faithful to Abraham and Sarah first because God keeps his promise. Here's what verses one through seven say. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, And the Lord did for Sarah 
what he had promised, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. This is drawing back to that story in Genesis chapter 18. She laughs because she's not confident in what God is going to do in her life. Now God has turned her laugh into a laugh of joy because he's fulfilled this promise. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. She's just like, I can't even fathom that this is really happening. Here's what we see. God keeps his promise. He gives Abraham and Sarah a son, Isaac. His name actually means he laughs. He's drawing all this back to Genesis 18. He's trying to show Abraham and Sarah, I can be trusted. I keep my promise. Look at some of the details here. I think these are actually a little bit more for us than they are for Abraham and Sarah. So verse 1 says, The Lord came to Sarah as he had said. As he had promised, in Genesis chapter 18, he has come through. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Verse 2, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Look, at the appointed time God had told him. This is, I think, more for us than it is for Abraham and Sarah. They're living it. We're looking back on this with the question, can God be trusted? And what we see here is God keeps his promise. Now, here's the struggle, all right? I said I was gonna try to point out some struggle here for us. Here's our struggle. God keeps his promise, but he keeps his promise in his time and in his way, not ours. God keeps his promise in his time and in his way, not in our time or in our way. Look at verse two again. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham when? In his old age. Speak a little bit more to me, all right? So, at when? In his old age. At the what? That God had told him. God keeps his promise at the appointed time. It's been 20 years. 20 years since God called Abraham up and issued the promise that he would give him a son. You know what was happening 20 years ago from today? Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook. That feels like so long ago. That's what happens within 20 years. That's how long it's been since God called Abraham up to go and issued to him the promise. So look, God keeps his promise in his time. His time. But not only this, God also gives Abraham a son in his old age. So he does it in his ways. Verse 5 tells us that Abraham was 100 years old 
when Isaac was born. 100 years old. <laughs> Look, if we are in God's shoes and we're drawing up plans for how this is going to go, it ain't happening at 100. Family planning and the way that we think this up, we have kids, we get married young, we have kids at a young age. Why? Because we want to have enough energy so that we can actually parent them well. <laughs> we actually want to see them leave the house while we're young enough to still enjoy our empty nester years so we can get out and travel and do all the cruises. Like we, we want to go live up life, right? And then we also want to have grandchildren early enough to where we can actually enjoy them. If it's our plans, it ain't happening at 100. It's happening way earlier. God keeps his promise. When? In his time. How? In his ways. God's call on Abram's life was to have a boy that would give birth to God's people. God keeps his promise here, all right? Here's where we need to take ourselves out of the story, all right? This is descriptive of Abraham's life. It's not prescriptive for us, all right? God's using Abraham in a very particular way here in this passage. Look, he's not starting God's people through you. <laughs> but yet, here's the thing. Every single one of us wrestles with a desire for purpose, don't we? What God placed a call in Abraham's life to get up and go and that he was going to have a son that we give birth to God's people. We all long for this call, right? We all long for like a call. We all long for purpose, a, a direction for our life. And here's the good news for you. It's not Abraham's call, but he does have a call for us. God has a vision for your life, and it's three things, all right? Let me... I'll save them to you. I'll try to point out a couple of verses for us, and then we'll try to tease this out a little bit. So here's the three things, three Gs, all right, just for your memory's sake, all right? God's vision or his call is threefold. It's God's glory, our growth, and the Great Commission. God's glory, our growth, Great Commission. Let me have some Bible passages to share with you. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, i.e. all of life is to be lived to God's glory. That is why we exist, is for us to live for the purpose and the glory of God. Everything that we do in this life is meant to bring God's glory. Secondly, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is God's will, your sanctification. What does this mean? That you are to become like Jesus. You grow to be more and more like Jesus. That your life will model his character as you walk with him over the course of time, year after year, to progressively, whenever you go see Jesus face to face, when you see him at that instant, he'll make you exactly like himself. But look, we are to grow progressively in this life to look more like Jesus, our growth. And then thirdly, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. What does this mean? You are called to make disciples. God has called you out of your sin 
in your darkness, and then he's given you the family mission, that you go and share the good news of Jesus with other people, everything that God has instructed to us in the scriptures, we pass off to others. We make disciples. This is God's vision for your life. God's glory, our growth, and the Great Commission. God is working out his call for your life and his time and his ways. Here's where our struggle is. We have visions for what this can look like in our life, but it's in our time and it's in our ways. Cherish and I felt this in 2011, 2012. We sensed God placing a call on our life to go start a new church. All right, so we are serving uh, on staff full-time at a church in Louisville, Kentucky. We feel that God is calling us to go start a new church. We have friends that are ready to go with us. We feel like we have a place that we're supposed to go. We have people that are wanting to pick up their lives and go with us, and then boom, we have physical things that are happening both to Cherish's body and to my body that keep us in Kentucky for another seven years. We sense a call. We sense a purpose. We sense a direction. But yet God is shutting doors. Lots of questions that are going on in our life. What's happening with our bodies? Are we going to be able to have a family? I was wrestling with, there was a tumor that was found in my body. Like, what does my future even look like? Felt a call. Felt a purpose. But what we had and what God had to work inside of us was that it wasn't our time and in our ways, but it was going to be God's will done in his time and his way. What I, I... if I can sum up like that whole experience, there was a lot of anger and frustration in the moment. But now where we are now, following through on what we feel like God has really called us to do as a family, to come and start a church in a place that needs a new church, I'm thankful. I look back on that Josh, my character wasn't ready. I look back on that Josh And the giftedness that God had given me wasn't cultivated yet to where it needed to be. And so what God has proven to me, not by looking through the windshield, but by looking through the rearview mirror, is that God's timing is best and his ways are best. You know what? I can stand here today and because of that experience and say that I can trust God better because he said no in that moment so that he could do the work that he needed to do in my life so that today I could tell you that he gave me a yes. And the reality is, is he may be doing the same in you. As you're wrestling with questions like, can I trust God? I feel call, I feel purpose, but the answer and the doors seem to be closing and what is God doing? Look, it may be if we agree that this is God's vision, our, his glory, our growth, and great commission. That it's not going to be done in your time and your ways. It's going to be done in God's time and in God's ways. And the end result, 
It may not be what you experience now, but the end result is that you are gonna trust them more. Abraham and Sarah, I mean, they're bursting forth with joy here. God filled, he kept his promise. And just as he completed his call in, the, in their life, look, he's gonna complete it in yours too. You can trust him. You can trust him. Secondly, we see that God keeps his promise here in verses uh, one through seven, but we also see that God preserves his promises in eight through 21, all right? So for time's sake, I'm gonna not read through all of those verses. Again, let me kind of give a summary here and I'll try to expound on it a little bit for us, all right? So here's what we see. Two of God's promises in eight through 21 are threatened in these verses, all right? Here's the two promises. The promise that God's people will come from the boy God will give Abraham and Sarah, that is Isaac. I'll explain that here in a second. The second threat is that the promise that God will make Abraham the father of many nations. Both of these are threatened here in verses 8 through 21. Let me work through the Isaac one first. So here's what happens, all right? The Bible tells us at the time that Isaac was weaning, that's usually around three, three years old at this point in time, Abraham decides that he's going to hold a great feast. And so as this great feast happens amongst Abraham's household, at the feast, Sarah sees Ishmael, Abraham's son through Hagar, mocking little Isaac. Now, Paul in Galatians, where we took a pause in Genesis, we looked at Galatians because there's a lot of things that happen in Galatians within the story that we're in right now. And what we saw Paul translate this in Galatians 4.29, he says that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. A lot of commentators, Bible teachers, think that there's possibly threats being made against Isaac's life. We don't know exactly the details, but that's where some Bible scholars, Bible teachers go. And so the mocking that is happening over Isaac, at the very least, Ishmael is saying, I'm going to be a co-heir with what's going on. We see Sarah say that in her response to Abraham. But at the very height, it could be Ishmael is making threats about taking Isaac out so that he would be the one that Abraham's family line is traced through. And so Sarah tells Abraham um, what she has seen. She tells, demands Abraham to drive out Hagar and Ishmael from his family so that Ishmael will not be a co-heir with Isaac. Abraham is distraught about this. It's his own son. But here's what God does. He shows up and he speaks to Abraham and he actually agrees with Sarah. Here's what he says, verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed about the boy and about your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her. And here's why. Because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. And I will also make a nation of the slave's son because he is your offspring. Now, I got a little, it, it felt weird reading this. Right? That, God would agree with Sarah and tell Abraham to drive out Ishmael and Hagar from the family. It's like, God, how, I thought you were like kind and you're good and you're great. Like, what is happening here? Well, 
we have to realize that God is preserving his promise. So here's what we have to, again, this is prescriptive, not, or this is descriptive, not prescriptive, right? So what's happening here is Ishmael is a byproduct of Abraham and Sarah's disbelief. What happened? Sarah saw that God's promise wasn't coming about in their life. She comes up with a scheme, goes to Abraham, says, take my servant Hagar, have a boy with Hagar so that we can see God's promise move forward. This is their scheming. It's a product. This is their personal sin that has caused a threat against God's promise. So what is happening here is God is preserving his promise that his people would come from Abraham and Sarah. So personal brokenness is what brings the threat against God's promise that God's people will come through the son that is given to Abraham through Sarah. And so God is preserving his promise. We also see that God's promise to make Abraham a father of many nations is threatened here because in verses uh, 14 through 21, we see that it's the brokenness of this world, the way that sin has affected this world that is actually bringing a threat to God's uh, promise to Abraham that he would be a father of multiple nations. So Abraham obeys God's instruction to send Hagar and Ishmael out. That's what we see in verse 14. Hagar and Ishmael leave with the amount of supplies that they can carry on their back. They're going to travel through the desert with only the water that they can carry on their own back. The water runs out. Hagar places Ishmael under a bush with shade and wanders a short distance away because she can't watch her son die. Just like any good mother, she can't just bear the sight of seeing her son die of dehydration. And so God hears not Hagar's crying, but Ishmael's crying, his mourning, and then he speaks to Hagar. He comforts Hagar. He opens her eyes to the, a well of water, and then he preserves Ishmael's and Hagar's life. And here's what the Bible reports about Ishmael in verses 20 through 21. God was with the boy, and he grew. He settled in the wilderness and became an archer. He settled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And so what happens here is God preserves his promise to Abraham that he's gonna make him a father of multiple nations. That's what happens with Ishmael. He rises up and there's a great people that are birthed out of Ishmael's life. So here's the wrestle, all right? So Abraham and Sarah at the threat of brokenness are worried about God preserving his promise here. Well, he, he's kept his promise by giving Isaac, but now is he gonna preserve it? At the threat of brokenness, their own personal brokenness and the world's brokenness, the effect of sin on this world, is God going to preserve his promise that Abraham's family line is gonna be traced through Isaac and that Ishmael is gonna make Abraham a father of multiple nations? And what we see here is yes, God preserves his promises. Now, here's our wrestle. At the threat of brokenness, our personal brokenness, the highs and lows of this life, we wrestle with the question, is God gonna preserve his promise to us that he will never leave us or forsake us? 
God proves that he's sticking with Abraham through tracing his family line through Abraham. God promises and proves that he's going to protect and preserve his promise to Ishmael. I mean, God was with the boy is what verse 20 says. So it's a matter of presence. And look, we have the same wrestle. When it comes to our personal brokenness, our personal sin, when it comes to our experiences of the highs and lows of this life, what's the wrestle that you and I have deep in our own souls when we sin against God, we experience the valleys of this life, the question is, God, are you going to preserve your promise? Will you leave me? Will you forsake me? Or are you going to follow through? I mean, Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or abandon you. Jesus' last words as he ascends to the heavens, Matthew 28.20, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Are you going to keep true to your promises, God? Are you going to preserve your promise? Are you going to remain with us? And here's what I think God is trying to teach us through the story of Abraham and Sarah is that God's trustworthiness is not based on our circumstances, but his character. God follows through and preserves his promises, not because of your circumstances, but because of what his character has proven true about him over the course of eternity. I learned this lesson the hard way this past week. Um, and during the Advent season, one of my sermons, I, I tried to express like ways that I've seen God grow in me. And early in my marriage with Cherish, I would get very anxious about personal finances. And over the course of time, I had said that I'd seen God grow me in that. Well, that was tested this past week. My family was on the way down to Spreakfield, Missouri to go visit my mom's side of the family and our car started acting all kinds of crazy. So we're driving, there's different lights that are coming on on the dashboard. Cher's like, I'm, I haven't seen those on the dashboard. Something, something's up. Um, one of our kids gets sick. We have to pull over at a gas station. As we pull over, we can't get the doors to open or close. We got one to open, but then we couldn't get it to close. And so electronically or manually, we just can't get this thing to work. And so we're both just, what do we do? I mean, we're 40 minutes outside of St. Louis. Somehow, some way, we get one of the doors closed. We had to pull the child that was sick out of the front passenger side of the car. It was just madness. And so we take the car to the Honda dealership. And as we pull, I pull in, um, of course, everything works. And so just the frustration of all of that that goes on with it. I turn on the car again. I, so I turned it off. All the doors are working. You turn it on again. Those lights come on. The, the whole car starts beeping at us. And he looks at the lights that are on the dash. And he says, I think you have a big problem. It says, it, it looks like your engine is misfiring. Now, I know what that means because it's happened to us before. And it was over a $7,000 fix. Now, let me just give you a... Uh, personal glance into the Wilson finances, we do not have $7,000 just to spare. So what is my response? I go home and I'm an anxious mess the whole entire day. I'm scheming like, do we 
do we get the car fixed with the little amount that we have, try to sell it, try to get a new van, and, or, or do we try to keep it, and then do we get like a, a warranty that covers it so it doesn't happen again? Like what in the world? I, I'm, I am a frantic mess. And so 3.30, 4 o'clock, right? I comes around, get a call from the dealership. <laughs> he tells me that the tire sensors have been cut. The wires, top and bottom of the car, have both been cut, which is why the blinkers and stuff are coming on. $400 fix. <laughs> Y'all, I was an anxious mess. You know what the wrestle with the question that I was really wrestling with? God, are you going to be faithful to me? Are you really present with me? Are you going to take care of me the way that you promised you would? In the moment, the way that my life was going, the answer had to be no. I have to take things into my hands. I have to fix this. I have to figure it out. God has failed me. And then I get that call at 3.30 or 4. $400 fix. It, that's no, like, small amount, but, you know, we can, we can scrounge that up. You know, we can do that. God was so faithful to us. Look, if I would have just stopped and thought and considered about how God has been faithful to us over the course of my entire life, if I would have allowed the Bible and stories like Genesis chapter 1 and 21, if I would have allowed the witness of God's testimony in my life to actually speak truth to my soul in that moment, it would have said, you do not need to fear. Even if it is a $7,000 fix, that is nothing to me. In the circumstances of my life, God's trustworthiness is not dictated by the lows or even, look, even your own sin. God is faithful. Faithful to forgive when we repent Faithful to be with us in the valleys, he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the promise. The course of Genesis chapter 21, the testimony of the whole entire chapter, is God can be trusted. He is faithful. He's faithful to Abraham and Sarah and the unique promises that he has given to them in their life. But look, he's faithful to you. He has proven himself worthy to be trusted over the course of eternity, not just in general senses, but in your life, very specific instances. Here's how he's worked over the course of human history to prove time and again that he is Worthy to be trusted. Not only do you get this in Genesis chapter 21, if you fast forward through redemptive history to the time of Moses, Exodus 34, here's what happens. God has delivered his people from slavery in Egypt 400 years. As there was a lot of questioning, a lot of struggle, here's what God says to Abraham or to Moses. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. What? abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. 
forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Fast forward to King David as he's being chased by people that are wicked, that are hunting down his life. Here's what he says in Psalm 36, 5. Lord, your faithful love reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. He's basically saying it's immeasurable. There's nowhere I could go to escape your faithfulness, even in the valleys of life. Jeremiah and Lamentations, as God's people are being exiled from the promised land, here's what he says in chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The height of all of God's promises is found in Jesus, which is what we see in 2 Corinthians 1.20. Here's what Paul says. For every one of God's promises is yes in Jesus. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. In Jesus, the promise that he will redeem us He will save us. Our deepest need in this life, the threat of sin and death against you have been dealt with in Jesus Christ because he lived and died and rose again in your place. The status that you need to have right relationship with God has occurred because Jesus has shared his status before God with you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done on your behalf. All of God's promises ring true in Jesus for you. Look, God kept his promise, not just in this transcendent idea. God put on human flesh, walked this life, did everything that was needed in order to meet the righteous requirements for our sin, was done in Jesus, given freely to you. Can we trust God? You can't look at the scriptures and leave with this gut-wrenching, empty, I don't know. The testimony of the Bible, if you're honest, if you look at your life, you look at how God has been faithful to you, the answer is yes, I can trust him. Thomas Chalmers says this, the sum and substance of the preparation needed for a coming eternity is that you believe what the Bible tells you and do what the Bible bids you. Why does God make us wait for his time and his ways? Why does the valleys and the peaks and valleys of our life, like why the struggle? God's preparing you and here's what he's trying to do inside of you. He's trying to form you into the likeness of Jesus. Who lived this life in complete dependence and trust in God alone? Who alone walked faithfully 
and kept all of God's commands, always listening to his commands, always following what God has said. Jesus. This is God's pattern to shape you into the likeness of his son. You can trust him and then you can step into the pattern that God is teasing out in your life through all of these struggles, look, to make you like Jesus. You can trust him. So here's the simple question. Will you? Will you trust him? Very first Sunday of the year. What if, what if we lived 2024, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> what if we lived this year in full, complete trust of God? How would your life look different? How would your relationship with God look different? How would your relationships in this room look different? How would it affect your job? How would it affect your home? How would it affect your neighborhood? How would it affect every sphere of your life if we lived as if God can be trusted? <sighs> what a breath of fresh air it would be. God's gift to you. You can. Over the struggles of this year, choose to trust him. And by the end of the year, your testimony will be, God is faithful. Let's pray.